0: Episode
1: fifty. But it's eh? always is episode it's the five golden anniversary,
0: it's the golden episode of da, more da, than da, just code da, podcast. Yep, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and looking back on it, how much more than just code have we been dealing with? Really, think about that. Did I just blow your mind? Well, a lot, really. Oh, no, that's too bad. No,
1: or maybe 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 the audience. Will maybe their minds are all blowing
0: right now.
2: It's like AI. Mm-hmm. Tim's mind is blown. He just doesn't know it yet. Yes,
0: happening. The more than just code podcast may contain material that is offensive to some people. Listener discretion is advised.
1: So, hey everybody, welcome to episode fifty of the more than just code podcast. My name is Tim Metroy. I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by Aaron Vay somewhere in northern Ontario. Hello, southern northern Ontario. So hot. <laughs> and also joined by uh, Greg Keogh over there at the Eaton Center. Hey, hello, John. everyone. And we also have Jaime, who's also hot in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And, of course, the weather is Aaron's favorite topic. I hate the weather. Especially
0: when it's out <laughs> to kill today. me. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But just think of you relaxing up at the cottage. You're, like, halfway through the week, you know. Like you have got, you know, yes. three more days to go,
0: you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm counting them down, go. man. It's air conditioning at home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's pretty sad when you want to get back home after being at the cottage. It is a little bit, but All uh, this is me. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Okay, sorry, Tim. You were talking about one of our tasteful and handsome listeners.
1: Yes, Peter. With him, um, I think he's from England. His handle is Compile Swift on Twitter. He he posted a uh, an article that he wrote on. I think the beginning of June when Apple Music came up and basically titled The Highs and, and Very Lows of Day One Usability. And so I, I read his thing and talked about some of the trials and tribulations that he was having with his music library, and I, I, so I reached out to him and said, so how is it now that you've had it for a month, asking it for a friend? <laughs> and... <laughs> He basically said, honestly, I've turned it all off. He said, sad to say, it's messed up my library, something terrible. So,
0: Yeah, that's just it, right? I mean, like that's the problem that people have when they use it as if it were iTunes.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, there's a, well, we can sort of go into the follow-up from Jim Del Rumpel about the um, post he put up uh, a couple of days ago, I guess, about how he got his music back. And he's apparently going to Apple to talk to them about it and... Says they're aware that there were some issues and stuff like that in the
0: article. Yeah, that was his follow up, right? So he he went actually went yeah. to Apple because he's Jim Dalrymple, right? So they you know have a good yeah. relationship and explained the issue, and they were able to get most of his stuff back, but there's still some that's missing, yeah. and mm-hmm. they don't honestly know what the heck is going on. And there was a little bit of you're holding it wrong, kind of response oh, yeah? to him. Yeah, yeah, I well, didn't so. see that part. Yeah, he had said well, a little bit sort of, like, so you, oh,
2: he had a compilation album, and then he had the original album. Yeah. And he may have deleted the compilation at one point, and maybe the match, the iTunes match, thought he deleted them, and it didn't recognize that he still had the album album or something like that and yeah, so he did yep. say maybe he maybe he had done something wrong but mostly i just like all the tweets that were like oh when we find a bug we file a radar and it sits in purgatory for three years whereas jim dalrymple is missing a few tracks and then oh my god call you know apple calls him <laughs> in for a meeting and he's gotta, they've gotta he's gotta tell them tell them all about his woes with missing songs <laughs>
0: well you can complain mm-hmm. all you like but you know if you've got a site with fifty thousand readers uh you will have apple's attention yeah uh that make will make be some yeah, go for it, man. Do it, and then after you mm-hmm. say its name, we can all go ding <laughs> That's a reference, so yes. mm-hmm. uh good for Jim, but you know, like he's holding it wrong he's he's using uh the service as if it were iTunes, and he's still storing mm-hmm. tracks as if that mattered anymore. Stop yeah. it.
2: There was one of those good short posts from John Gruber, and I think it said, if only they had built, for whatever reason, if they had built it as a separate app, whereas the Apple Music app was cloud stuff, and then iTunes is stuff that you have locally. And there yeah. would be a nice clean split. No one would be confused. Because from what I've heard, it people are still getting a little bit... I don't think the iOS version is as confusing. The iOS version is just like, Apple Music, in your face. And, oh yeah, yeah. your playlists are like on a uh, one of those section controllers i forget what they're called the things a that have
0: tab bar control mm-hmm.
2: not t- the ones at the top with the little pills
0: oh yes oh yes. yes what
2: yes, are yes. those things called um, like a segment segmented control? control segmented thank you yeah and it's just got one of those in playlists it's just one of those at the top and that's where your music lies and then the entire rest of the app is just apple music yeah so i don't think it's as confusing there but definitely on the iOS. i sorry on the mac itunes i still have not figured out how to get apple music sort of playing nice
0: it seems like apple has a distinct aversion to breaking out itunes into various constituencies like this seemed to me like a perfect chance to do that you know um but this this need to integrate it somehow with your existing music collection i think has really clouded the issue and forced them to kind of bundle it back in and they keep shuffling the deck chairs you know to try to make it more sensible but they keep failing and making it worse they did a relatively good job with iBooks when
2: iBooks became a separate app yeah. and you could finally read stuff on your Mac. Yeah. And then they said mm-hmm. and there was that thing where it's like you used to sync your books with iTunes as of course everything syncs with iTunes, but they managed yeah. to get that into the iBooks app separately and that seemed to work pretty well for a while. I was a little confused about like how do I side load pdfs into ibooks and i wasn't really sure where to do that and i figured that eventually but mm. they seem to have done that once it seems but for like you said Aaron, it's it's like web objects or something they just don't want to touch it for some reason and they're just like oh this is where all of our business is that's what i hear a lot right People, yeah they're just scared to change it the back end the front end whatever because that's where all of the money is in the apps well right
0: yeah I- I try to imagine... Apple's afraid to change it, you mean? Yeah, Apple's afraid to change it, yes. Um, I try to imagine sometimes, you know, um, getting access somehow to internal Apple discussions about things like iTunes, you know? Um, You know, what people talk about when they talk about the iTunes team and and you know like the decisions they make when it comes time to release a new service and it, yeah we're going to change up itunes again you know why don't we uh you know think about breaking that and then like, they get shouted down because you know have you seen the source code bra? do you even know what this looks like it's a it's a, it's like the war in there man
2: yeah who's the one brave person oh, who keeps bringing it like, up every meeting maybe yep. this yeah. is a good chance to do it guys and then it's like no no
0: no we're not even going there <laughs> Or maybe it's just one guy who actually thinks that iTunes is just the bee's knees and wants to keep it all together. Don't break it out. We love Mm. this stuff.
2: Yeah, but, it's uh, too bad because, like you said, it would have been it, this would have been a good time to do it. Pull a whole photos, iPhoto to Photos kind of thing
0: Yeah, yeah. and
2: say, nope, iTunes is iTunes, but now we have a music app. And then maybe they could have, I mean, with Photos, they just totally said, all right, that's it for iPhoto, bring it over to Photos, and then that's it. Yep. Whereas they could have done a slow cutover and said, all right, this whole cloud music stuff is going to be in this new app, but you still have to use iTunes to sync, and then they could have slowly. But that that over.
1: may be part of their long long plan. They they may be thinking of of having the two uh, sec- sections together in one app to make a transition from one to the other in, in, down the road. You don't know that, right? So they could because I mean the thing about it is iTunes. Everybody's sort of said like the Finder is long in the tooth, right? It 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 needs an overhaul, but you know maybe switching over to that is not as easy as, as we we all think it is. You know because of all this legacy stuff that goes on how people use their devices, you know, how they have to support for older OSs that are still out there, you know, kind of thing, right? So,
2: yeah, and then there's always the Windows thing, which I saw something a tweet or something about about how it, it may be the legacy of supporting iTunes on Windows and whatever if there's any shared code or something like that and that might be holding things back as well.
1: Yeah, but and but then again, you also have to realize and you probably do that that iTunes coming out on Windows is what saved Apple, right? So, in a lot of ways. Because it made the iPod viable as a device, right? And then that then grew into the phone, and 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 and, and Yeah, right? but that
0: was then, and this is now, right? Like, does Windows yeah. even matter anymore? And I say this on Windows 10 Day, you know.
1: Yeah, no, I, you know, I think that I think that's the thing that you know, as Apple developers and as you know, now the iPhone is successful and all that kind of stuff. We kind of think that it's not, right? But. You know, um, and, and you know, if, if Mark was on the show and he was down in Silicon Valley, he wouldn't even be talking about, we, we wouldn't talk about Blackberry, we wouldn't talk about Windows necessarily, but I think that Windows is still quite well entrenched in the business world everybody you know they seem to be cheaper than than mac quote unquote and a lot of lot of companies have them and a lot of people use windows every day in their in their work, work lives right well that's so.
0: certainly true however you know like how often do you even use itunes for its oh, syncing I- purposes to a phone or an ipad for example oh, very rarely it's everything's over the air exactly. now exactly right? so. yeah like you, yeah. it's it's becoming less and less relevant even on the mac right like mm-hmm. in fact mm-hmm. um, i hadn't used itunes in months before apple music came out and right, you know, right. I, unlike Jim Dalrymple, as as I said last week, you know, I've I've come, mm-hmm. kind of come to give Apple Music my full throated support. I'm a big fan of the service, so I have been using it extensively, mm-hmm. and running iTunes on my desktop for the first time every single day. I haven't done that for ages, yeah. you know. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's actually you know, people talk about how confusing it is on the Mac and in iTunes, and I'm not I'm not so sure that it is. Like I, I haven't had that much trouble finding my way around. But then again. The big problem that people have had, of course, with managing their own music collection is something that's just not an issue for me. I don't use that part of it. That's true, but
1: I'll tell you this much: I do tend to I don't use iTunes for listening to music, but I use it a lot with you know because of the podcast and and you know i I have it open to proof the podcast as I work on it, so I have it open all the time and. And they have gone through quite a bit of reorganization within the application itself, oh, yeah. and it, it can be confusing from one version to the next. You know, now everything's glommed together, and if you want to hook up a device, it, you kind of have to wait for it to show up in the menu. You can't just have a you know a grayed-out version of it sitting there waiting for you to use like it used to be in, back in the day. You know, like uh, two years ago, right? So, and you have to drill through these different menus. They, they sort of give you a choice of like three or four different things, and then the rest is all under that sort of ellipsis menu. You know, yeah. Uh, where you have to dig into it and go get it, and you can find you know i iPod- podcasts and you can find you know other things that are tucked away there, right? So, and I spend a lot of time looking at stuff on the App Store. So, I do go into iTunes. I don't use it for that purpose, but for like marketing research and that kind of stuff, I go to iTunes a lot. But you know, you're right. For my phone and my iPads, hardly ever hook up.
0: Indeed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I can imagine. Well, we can a time cross our in fingers,
2: the Finder, the Finder finally got its Cocoa rewrite, so maybe yeah. iTunes is next.
1: Hmm. So this is in iOS nine or uh, OS ten ten or, or in the current version we're running. What now? you talking about the Finder in Yosemite? Yeah, oh, that happened. 10, yeah. a, a couple versions, right? Ago. Was
2: that ten nine or so? Maybe ten
1: eight? S- okay. maybe? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Might have been ten eight. See, I didn't even notice. It's there. You go.
2: Yeah. Well, it, it looks a lot. Tabs. Same. Was that around the same time, or am I maybe not remembering that correctly?
0: pretty darn close maybe
2: yeah okay
0: um maybe. Uh, let me do this google thing and uh, see if it tells us anything hired.com has given us a code to share with you hired is the first two-sided marketplace created specifically for developers designers and product managers who are overwhelmed with job opportunities just like us they believe finding a career should be transparent unbiased and controlled by you the talent Their marketplace features vetted and funded companies extending interview requests, a dedicated talent advocate, and a $2,000 signing bonus. U.S. dollars, I'm sure. Their mission is to make hiring or getting hired less painful. Use the URL hired.com slash more than just code, and they'll double the signing bonus to a wicked $4,000, approximately $800 thousand canadian dollars <laughs> thank you to hired.com for sponsoring the more than just code podcast
3: let's see we have some follow-up from the judicious use of shitty code article yep greg greg's got it there is the, that uh, martinfowler.com? Oh, yeah yeah so it's something so called the design works, stamina um, hypothesis. the refactoring
2: book where does that name sound familiar yeah from? exactly uh, okay.
3: amongst a couple other books um from like the late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. like um, UML Distilled,
2: right, that people right, usually okay.
3: read. Um, domain-specific languages is a little more recent. I want to say Patterns of Enterprise Application Architecture was his. One of those Addison-Wesley Red and Black books.
2: Mm, okay. Mhm.
3: So why don't you jump in there on that then, Jaime? Yeah, so it's kind of a, a different take, right? So... Um, Jared Sinclair's article on you know, just kind of ship it, right? Like that some of his ugliest, you know, code wise ugliest apps were some of the best performing for him. Mm -hmm. Um, The alternative take on that is Martin Fowler's who, understandably, for a guy who writes a book called Refactoring, um, he prefers good design, right? For longer term maintainability and so forth. And he's got a really good graph in the article that's, that's a really kind of a notional graph that the idea behind well, just ship it and then deal with it later is that there's an active trade-off you're making um, in that if you have crappy code, you can get it out to you know hypothetically get it out to the market faster rather than taking your time to give thoughtful, meaningful names to things, to break apart um, files so that they're not you know a thousand-line app delegate, for example, that does mm-hmm, everything. Mm-hmm. Or in Jared Sinclair's case, he said how he had everything was a property of something else with no delegation, (laughs) no notifications, uh, no KVO, nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's this notion here in in this graph about how there's a design payoff line where at some point um, in your app's lifecycle or your system's lifecycle, whatever the case may be, uh, there's a point at which, you know what? it actually makes more sense to do good design because you're just going to be slower if you haven't really thought about how am I going to maintain this thing, right? And certainly folks would disagree as to where exactly that line is, but he's looking at it from the angle of, you know, it would be really hard to argue for the idea that there isn't enough time to do good design, at least at some level. So... It's a relatively short article. We'll have it in the show notes. I think folks should really take a look at it. And you know, now that you've seen or heard, listened to both sides, think about where your particular app or your particular situation, your particular job is, and where you think you fall on that line philosophically.
2: Mm-hmm. I like the graph because it reminds me of when you're doing things like Big O and comparing two algorithms. And sometimes the logarith- logarithmic algorithm is less performant for small input sizes and then the linear algorithm beats it out but over time the logarithmic catches up and becomes better. Does that make sense? I think that's the case for a lot of things. Anyway, this graph kind of (laughs) reminds me of that and saying that um, like you said, Jaime, depending on where you draw that line um, sometimes it does make sense to just kind of do it quickly and and get it out there. But I would lean towards his argument, Martin Fowler's um, argument here since unless you're just building a series of one-off products, your chances are if you have a success, then you're going to want to maintain it in the long term. And so having that design up front, because I think I also note that one of the tags on his article here is technical debt, which is something that he writes a lot about. And I think it's always a good idea to have that up front. I would definitely lean on his side of the argument because once you're used to it, I don't feel like having a having some time up front to think about design is really a huge burden. Um, especially once you've done it a few times, it's not like thinking about your app architecture takes up that much time and will and it'll definitely pay off dividends down the line, I think.
1: Mm -hmm. Or you end up having to refactor everything like I tend to do. (laughs) Well,
2: then you get this very excellent refactoring book, which, uh, (laughs) which I (laughs) like because it actually has code in there and he kind of walks through it. I think, uh, the book is i think the book is very well well regarded for that reason but um yeah I don't, I don't i'm i'm just i just don't think that thinking about the design and then implementing it compared to just running ahead with no design and implementing it i don't think the delta between those two is so great maybe it is for a really beginner programmer or something like that but for someone who's worked yeah, on perhaps, things for a yeah. while i don't think the delta is so great that you shouldn't do it like just spend 20 minutes you know 30 minutes or something like that up front that's really that will save you a lot of time down the road
0: what i guess that what he's saying is that like you can have shitty code but um it's actually not too hard much of an effort to have non-shitty code <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Is that the it, thing it really depends right like let's take a hypothetical for example um so there are definitely plenty of folks who will um let me set the scenario. So come September, Apple usually surprises us with something, right? So they haven't revealed all their cards at WWDC. A perfect example hmm. is something like the um, M3 coprocessor that was... I forget which device it came out in first. I want to say it was the 5S.
1: Yeah, I think so, mm-hmm. yeah.
3: Um, like, there was no API talk of that at all during WWDC that year. Um it was a, oh, look, look at this fantastic thing that this new iPhone could do. And yet on day one of the iPhone, that new iPhone being available, there were folks who had stuff that made use of the pedometer type Mm. pieces or other sensors and whatnot that come out. And I'm sure that they have pretty good um, development experience and and their line of, of where they have good and bad decisions that they can make is going to be speedier than with a junior programmer, but I guarantee right. you those those apps look awful underneath the covers. There's no way those are long term <laughs> maintainable, right? You cannot create this great, wonderful, m- well maintainable, meaningful app in a week or two. It just isn't possible, right? right? Right. It's going right. to make serious trade offs somewhere to get to market fast.
1: Yeah, and we saw that with the with the watch. I think with some of the earlier apps that came out for the watch, and people were writing things and. And uh, they were surprised once they actually got the hardware at how sluggish it was and how they had to go back and rethink things. I think, isn't that, isn't that what um, uh, Robin was talking about with the Score app, Aaron? Mm-hmm. The fact that once they got it onto the device, or Greg, you were at that talk, I think, too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that they had to go back and rethink it. And I think so, and that same, same thing's true with, with our guys, like Mick and those guys who were working on on the watches. Once they actually got the devices and saw... That, you know what? What they're really dealing with, right? In terms of network and things like that, right? That
0: was a pretty common story. We heard a lot of that from um, yeah. many watch developers. That,
1: yeah. but it follows up on what what Jaime was just saying about about you know getting stuff to market quickly, right? Um, a more senior guy is going to be more skilled and have more more things in his tool belt to be able to get the code out quicker. Maybe not necessarily as nice as it should be, you know, if, if he'd given the time or or took the time to to get it out there, right?
0: So. That is all true. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's worthwhile, you know? And that's the point that... Um, what's his name from last week? Jared, Jared Sinclair. Sinclair. Jared Sinclair, thank you. Uh, that's the point he was making, is that, uh, you know, like... Sometimes it's worthwhile to do that. To, to damn the torpedoes and do a, 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 an app quick rather than good. And sometimes mm-hmm. you can't even mm-hmm. tell. So... Well, and as I said,
1: I also mentioned, sometimes you just want to do a spaghetti test and see if stuff, you, see if something has interest and people are going to jump onto it and then go back and, and finesse it later on, you know, obviously, right? You don't want to blow all your, you know, unless you have a big bag of cash to burn through, which most of us don't, you want to put as, you know, not as minimal effort, when, when, I guess a minimal viable product, I guess is the way to say it. You want to get it as, as close to finished as you can without, you know, making yourself bankrupt, Right. And then getting it out there and seeing how it works. And then you could go back and refactor it. I'm sure that's the case with most of the most successful apps out there today that they've had. Once they became successful, they were able to go back and refactor things and and make them better. Or
0: or not. And (laughs) somehow make it work anyway.
1: (laughs) That's true. That's true. All right so Aaron uh sort of a long tail follow up is is and I mentioned it briefly last week about the fact that Apple had just hired Doug Betts um from from Fiat it was from Fiat. Fiat yeah Chrysler yeah so Chrysler Fiat yeah um was had been hired and we were some speculation and it has been a big proponent of the car story since you know months ago mm, that's interesting and so do you want to lead off on this uh couple of posts that you've put up here It's an Aaron? interesting
0: description i i would never have uh answered to the the title of you know interested in cars uh, it's just not um but you know yeah this is fascinating story right i mean the whole idea of apple making a car um is interesting. Why? Why is that interesting? You know, because, is it is it because people are interested in cars? I don't think so because I'm not interested in cars, yet this story interests me. I think what it is about this, and this is just like a, you know, just stand back a second and, and consider this question. Um, I think it's interesting because um, we're going to finally, for the first time, see Apple's Credo tested on a field other than computing devices. You know? Where we've We've known apple is is something to do with with quality with user experience uh, with making the best of whatever uh, sector that they're in and uh, we've long felt that you know for Apple to grow, they have to get into other fields, and we saw them get into the iPhone with uh, you know like the cellular phone market. Uh, iPad in a different mode of computing. Watches is a wearable. Um, but now those are all computers. They, they're they all essentially computers uh, in their context. Mm-hmm. But for the first time, uh, we're going to see Apple go really far afield, I think, in a very different direction than they ever have before. Uh, the car, of course, which, which I think makes it far more interesting than j- just the consideration of, oh, Apple's making a car you know uh what what kind of car will it be that's interesting ooh car um i don't care about the car per se you know what i care about and what interests me is uh will apple's um, mindset their their mo will it work with cars or with you know ironing boards whatever as well as it works with computers right mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and you know, my, my my gut says absolutely. I mean, they um, they they are positioned with their company mentality, their ethos, to take over the world. They can they can consume whatever it is they set their eyes on, um, because nobody thinks like Apple does, and nobody has their resources mm. nowadays either. So, um, this seems like the perfect thing for them to do. Um, which is this is what excites me about it is that you know, what can Apple do to the automobile industry? And so I'm not the only one who's interested in it. There's a fellow uh, who writes at AboveAvalon.com named Neil Seibart, and we've talked about him on past episodes. Um, and he's been following this very closely. He's actually something of a car aficionado. So uh, his his pieces on this have been quite illuminating. Uh, on, on Monday, he published a, an article called Apple Car Development is Advancing, and and that's the one where he sort of talks about the hires that we spoke about last week. Um, and it turns out that there were two hires. That was a big surprise for me. We talked about Doug Betts from Chrysler, uh, who was kind of in charge of, uh, quality operations there. And, uh, you know, we talked about how the repercussions of that are likely that they're getting into actual manufacturing, which, uh, implies that they're further into the development than we had imagined. Um, but, And that's interesting. Um, But there's a second hire that Neil Seibart was talking about that I hadn't heard about. I'm not sure anybody's spoken about. Uh, A fellow named Paul Fergale. And he's a researcher who's involved in autonomous vehicles, um, as well as Mm -hmm. mapping and robotics. So I think one of the big questions that that people had about what Apple is doing is, um, okay, so what's going to be different about their car? Uh, Will it be an electric car? Probably. It seems like a safe bet. Um, Will Mm -hmm. it be a self-driving car? And that I personally felt much less certain about. Um, However, having people like Paul Fergale on staff suggests that they are, in fact, moving in that direction. So um, the article from Neil Seibart kind of goes through the credentials of these guys and like a a lot of inside baseball about uh, their careers (laughs) and what they contribute to the the car effort. So uh, it's a very interesting read. So um, I, I'm actually, you know, reading this much more excited about Apple's car efforts than I was before because, you know, it seems like they are really looking to hit a home run on this in terms of technology. Like, not just um, bringing their expertise in battery technology, which you, which would seem like a shoe in, right? Because Apple's really big mm-hmm. in lithium ion. They they get power management. They understand that stuff, and they can apply it to. Um, The best practices and drive train technologies and gearboxes and stuff like that, regenerative braking and stuff, um, and and create a very competent electric vehicle. But to go beyond that and to talk about autonomous driving cars, uh, which I believe is a technology that, if implemented properly, could literally change society. If Apple can do Mm -hmm. that, then sign me up. Um and the sooner the better well, it, it's true it 's true that
1: a lot of a lot of large manufacturers i mean google 's had self driving cars for a while yeah they're testing so many I think they're testing them out somewhere yes in mountain View. Uh, and the, and yeah, and then there's also i know that um, companies like Volkswagen and i think Volvo companies like that have had you know self driving cars you know in doing road tests with five or six of them in a in a row kind of dealing with things but um and, you know, I think the biggest resistance, obviously, is going to be the general public. You know, wanting to, not wanting to give up their their gas guzzlers. You know, with over their out of their cold dead hands, as it were. You know, <laughs> um, I, I think it, it's coming. And and but it's interesting though, because we just talked about just before the show. You guys were just going on about AI and how far along it's going to be before we actually have proper AI. And I think that, to be honest with you, I, you know, I'm a sci-fi nut, and I'm sure you guys are too. But you know, that's the biggest challenge of of any sort of autonomous vehicle is how autonomous can it be? Vancouver's had their monorail system for the last 20 years, I think, that's completely autonomous. And, you know, we have a number of monorail systems at airports that pick up people all the time. And I, I don't know how much um, autonomous vehicles like trams and trolleys and stuff like that in Europe there may be, you know, or how much intelligence there is in, in uh in that the airline industry has got a lot of intelligence built into their devices, their, their planes and stuff that apparently can take off and land by themselves. Um, so it, it's a it's a slow burn, but I mean, I think that, that uh, it's an interesting thing that it's going to have effect on where we go with this. And, and Apple, as I posted earlier today an article, um, is apparently teaming up with BMW uh, to work with their... Perhaps building around their existing electric car. I mean, because it's the first thing, first challenge for Apple is they're not a car manufacturer, right? Um, so it makes sense to pair up with with uh, an ally that's that's good at that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, but wasn't it saying, Tim? Um, sorry
0: that um, that that yeah. those talks had broken down. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't get that far into. I didn't get that
1: out of the article. I got. I basically this. This article has been sort of uh, posted up by a couple of different people. I, I posted your favorite, the Business, business Insider guys, <laughs> um, but I had seen this three or four times in uh, a couple of days ago when I posted this. That uh, there was discussion between uh, there was Tim Cook was apparently in Germany meeting with people. Yeah, they don't know who you know, um to discuss discuss this stuff. And it's not an unusual. I think Apple's gone into other OEMs over the years and, and discussed things and the, we products that we never see that never see the light of day. But um but it it's an interesting topic. I mean I don't know what Greg and, and Jaime think about uh about the whole concept of autonomous or even you know, Apple getting involved in building cars. How long down the road is that? You know? When will we see um <laughs> Autonomous vehicles by tutorials come out, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, Tim. This article actually does talk about how the negotiations have broken off, um, though they agree to check in with each other periodically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I read in the other okay. article as well.
1: What do you What do you think, Greg and Jaime, about the whole concept of the car, the Apple Car?
3: I think it would be the biggest change of industries for Apple. So they've they've gotten their feet into other things like, let's say the watch, right? The watch is um, dipping into the fashion area. But let's be honest, everything that Apple has made to date has been very clearly in the consumer electronics space. And the car is distinctly not, right? It's not a consumer electronic. It's a completely different industry. Um, So it'd be huge if they can actually be successful at any level in that industry. I think it would be a very, very huge change for them. And gets kind of interesting as to how they would maintain these things going forward.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like Apple wouldn't enter a market like this and just say, we're going to do something completely different and get into cars. But I feel more like they're looking down the road and saying, just as computers be- started as things that... Uh, you go all the way back to the Apple One. It's like here's a set of blueprints. Okay, we'll assemble it yourself, and you have, but you have to bring your own case or whatever, and you build mm-hmm. it yourself, and then no, we're going to package it into a nice box, and then computers became consumer electronics eventually, and you could say with the phone, there was something similar. Like if you ask somebody back in the flip phone days, what kind of phone do you have? They'd say, I've got a, you know, I've got a Nokia, or I've got a. I forget what other brands they had. I've got a Sony. I've got an Ericsson. But you wouldn't actually know the model. And then you could say that it became a consumer electronic. And then Apple said, all right, now we have an Apple iPhone. We're going to brand this thing. And then still, I mean, I I don't remember. Did I have a Nokia 6250i or whatever it was? Mm -hmm. But then when Apple comes into the business, it becomes this consumable thing. Yeah, the iPhone. So I feel like maybe... I don't know how far down the road but very far down the road cars maybe like that if you could I mean I can't imagine an apple car being cheap but if you imagine treating it oh, like yeah. a phone, where of course the, the patented or Apple's mo is always here's this car and the hood is sealed shut. How many of those? How many of those analogies have you heard? Like, oh, Windows is like buying a car where you can't open the hood, and if you pull over, then someone from Microsoft has to come and reboot it, or whatever. But yeah, I can yeah. see Apple someday when cars are like that. You just have a car. You never need to open it. It has yeah. software updates. And it probably will be self-driving and it'll have some really cool interface. And then you'll upgrade the next year to the iCar, you know, iCar 5S or whatever it is. Um, Yeah, because your other car is obsolete already. Exactly. So I don't see Apple saying, oh, we're going to enter this completely different market. I see it the other way around. And Apple is saying the car market is going to become like the consumer electronic market. And that's what we do. And so that therefore we should get started with it. Now. Yeah,
1: it's interesting. It's interesting that you use that analogy of cars because uh, I don't know if you've ever read the book by Neil Stevenson called "In the Beginning Was the Command Line," and he's talking about classic Apple before you know before uh, OS X, when it was a sealed unit and you basically you had to take it into Apple only Apple could fix it. And whereas Windows was a camp of people who kind of you know would show you how to hack your bicycle and put a motor on it and call it a, you know making a moped. Now you know which is the analogy of adding Windows to DOS. Mm-hmm. Um, and Unix was these tanks that would basically just drive forward, even if the driver fell off, they would continue driving forward you know um, and and that was sort of his his analogy of the, of the three um, spears of the or segments of the of the computer industry. You know, that initially it was something you built yourself and then eventually became this this ready-made product, right? Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, that, too, that, that uh, you know, as soon as I see that Apple and BMW are talking, you know, I, I realize right away
2: I can't afford an Apple car. <laughs> I mean, they're always priced slightly higher. So you could see them in, yeah, the, in the Tesla style of market. But I, I do yeah, think cars yeah. are moving in that direction anyway. Like, people people don't know how to change the oil anymore. Cars do have software now. They get software updates. And if you need to diagnose something in your car, you have to buy one. I think they have that app that does it now. But you plug it in into the little diagnostic port, and it tells you what's wrong. And so I think...
1: Yeah, I mean, when I started working on cars, you know, when I I got my first car in the 80s, you know, I would be underneath it changing the oil and fixing the brakes myself. And, you know, you could tune the carburetor because it still had, you know, a carburetor in it. Um, and now when you look at you open up the hood of most cars and some cars you open them up and there's like a plastic cover over the whole thing which basically like says void
2: if you know removed sort of thing (laughs) it's one of those stickers over all of the all of the screw holes right
1: yeah if you open like to take a look at like a new like a camaro or something like that off at a chrysler it's literally like you open up the hood and there's all you can see is a hole where you can put the oil and that's it you know uh, I mean, don't touch anything else underneath there. And that, that's, that's sort of the more common thing. And I, I have a, my, my ex-brother-in-laws from my first marriage were all mechanics, and they were going on and on about how more and more computerization has gone into cars to the point where you don't need to tune them up anymore. Um, as long as you maintain the, the bits and pieces, there is a computer that controls the, you know, the mix of air and gas and keeps everything humming along, right? Mm. So.
2: I just can't wait until we can overclock them, just like people overclock their CPUs. <laughs> Back in the day. Yeah. yeah.
3: But yeah, they are cars are you know, for a very long time have been moving towards that whole sub assembly yeah. mechanism, right? Like like it's amazing looking at cars from like the nineteen fifties and you look at their engine, it's like, oh, I can see the floor. But <laughs> you really yeah. can't now. Um because <laughs> everything is like, oh, uh here's this one little piece of aluminum within this p pe- you know sub assembly that's broken probably yeah. cost about uh, a yeah. dollar what will it take to replace Look, 300 because we can't buy the little aluminum piece so unless you're right. willing to machine it yourself uh to write standards you're gonna have to buy the subassembly to replace that entire component
1: yeah yeah and that's it's, it's just it i mean like you know countries like you know, like in asia they fix cars and in, and in, in cuba clearly they fix cars but but in most cultures, you know, it's basically replaced... You're right, you're right. You replace that. You get a worn worn bearing on a water pump. You replace the whole water pump. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't to go in and dink with it like you used to back in the day or rebuild it. Right.
2: I don't have the stats on this either. But with I suspect that more people will lease their cars now as well which i think would go perfect with this kind of thing yeah. where you would just yeah. say every 30 years you get the latest model of apple car iCar or whatever it is apple yep. car i guess yep. it would be with the small yep. caps apple and then uh, you just pay whatever it is your four hundred dollars a month for the rest of your life
1: well who knows maybe rogers and bell will subsidize the price <laughs> of the car right
2: <laughs>
0: Sorry, Verizon and AT&T. Let me put it in your context. <laughs> no, you mentioned that it would be super expensive, this thing, but uh, I really do have yeah. a hard time believing that it would be Tesla expensive or BMW expensive. Um Yeah, really? well, I just, mm. you know, given what, you know, especially Greg just said that, um, they price a little higher than the market, you know, but not mm-hmm. not like two to three times the market, you know? But
2: for f- I'm just thinking about phones. Like, is there a more expense Well, back when the iPhone was out, was there a more expensive phone than the iPhone? At if the you time, could buy the iPhone outright, which I think you couldn't when it first came out. Yeah, actually, well, you only could areas, when it first came are out. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: it didn't come out with uh, a subsidy plan until the s- iPhone 3G came out. Right. Um, but the original yeah. iPhone, you had to buy outright, and it was like six hundred dollars. Um, mm-hmm. But. Um, you know you look at uh, like the Apple Watch, for example, uh, which can be very expensive, but mm-hmm. um, does have a reachable introductory price. Uh, 350, yes? US? Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I mean but that's absolute price, though, right? So it's more than double some of its closest competitors.
0: In the Android watch space, you mean? Yeah. In in a smart watch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Or looking at the pebble who are like hundred and fifty to two hundred, let's say.
0: Yeah, but you know, like mm-hmm. there's a I think there's a big difference between uh, splurging on a watch for five hundred dollars and trying to find a way to afford seventy thousand dollars. I think there are dramatically mm-hmm. few people would be able to afford a Tesla automobile. Um, that that would be interesting to Apple, you know? Like Apple speaks to the consumer market, the larger consumer market. Mm-hmm. Um, not not uh the bleeding edge people that are buying Tesla Model S's right now the most wealthy people mm. like seriously can you can you see Apple coming to market with a a 60 or 70,000 dollar car
2: yes i could see it yeah <laughs> that, yeah
0: i that would blow my mind if they did that because s- vanishingly few people would be able to afford that
1: no, and that's true and that's kind of sort of what i was saying i think that that uh you know I mean, I don't have a car. I mean, I have one car, and I sold my car a couple of years ago because I wasn't driving it, and it was sitting on the road rusting away. And you know, so now I use Zipcar, and I use Uber, and I use you know Car to Go. Well, that's fine that for Tim. and and the TTC. And then and then, Greg, you don't have a car either. I do not you? have a car. Yeah. So Jaime, what, what kind of car do you have? And you you have a car because you commute every day, right?
3: Right. So I have a Honda Civic.
1: Well, there you go. Perfect for my favorite car. But And, Aaron, what does your family
0: own? I own two cars because I live in the suburbs. Um, yeah, so I have a sure. Volkswagen Golf and a Nissan Altima. Um, mm-hmm. And we're going to be switching that up as my car lease comes due in the fall. And who knows what. But, uh, yeah, I can't get away with less than two cars. And there's no way that one of them is going to be a $70,000 Apple car.
1: <laughs>
0: no, but, you, and,
1: but while you were away, we were talking about the fact that, that people, you know, do tend to lease cars, and that means Greg was was uh, was saying that perhaps people are going to do that. Yeah, on lease I heard that. Um,
0: I, I so, lease my yeah. cars as well. Um, yeah, but you know, even you know, a seventy thousand dollars car is going to be like a seven eight hundred dollars a month lease. Yeah. You know, like that's mm-hmm. just not <laughs> that's not in a lot of people's budget.
3: Yeah, true. I think the entry price will be $49,999. You heard 50, it here 000, first. $50,000, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and was it going to ship, Jaime? Well, I, I'm not sure, but I'm fairly certain it's going to be the 16-gig model. guaranteed. Right there. <laughs> yeah, be <pretty> true. <laughs> and does it come in uh, space gray and gold and silver? No, 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 not, not gold, just space gray and white to begin with. The oh, next year, true. the S version is the one that has this gold. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah you laugh cool. but I
0: bet you that's exactly how it's going to play out <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah no I, I'm
2: laughing to stop from crying is what I'm doing yeah <laughs> well, speaking of which-
0: thing, the um, what's it called the, the cross gauge or whatever it is oh Ooh, the Intel cross point thing. the new memory yeah. technology from Intel and Micron yeah yeah this is mm-hmm. so cool that's the holy grail i'm telling you
2: this is it i'm always thinking well that was part of my thing is cpu technology is well depending on how you look at it slowing down totally storage seems to be going up but battery damn the chemists they just can't get their act no, together no they?
0: they're they're really trapped in the physical world greg it's like a it's like it's like being bound to earth while everyone else is in space and we're all in the physical
2: i don't know i think if they just they just need to try harder you don't think they're trying hard though they're not
0: sufficiently motivated
2: I don't know what it is, but where's the big leap in, in battery technology? I mean, I guess they're consistent, right? There's a consistent whatever it is, 5%, 10%, or whatever the number is, yeah. increase so year over year. But there's two no two leap empire. about, like, where's the quantum computing of battery technology?
0: Yes. Where's the Moore's Law of battery technology?
2: And you can't say fuel cells, because that's one of those things, like, it's, been, it's, it's always 10 years away, right? Yeah. Like good AI or something. No. It's always 10 years away.
0: Uh, and and mm-hmm. may AI mm-hmm. stay 10 years away. <laughs> I for one welcome our new working AI right now. I mean, did you read that piece in waitbutwhy.com? dot com? Okay, hang on, stand I did, by. No, no. Wait but why. Okay. So this is a two part article from Wait But Why and it was published uh about two months ago or something. Um where uh Tim Urban, who is the writer at this website, explains why artificial intelligence is almost certainly going to be a very bad thing. And um, he ha- he spends some eight to 10,000 words explaining how that is. Um, and the fact of the matter is that uh, we, as humans, are vastly unprepared for that oncoming onslaught. Because it's going to happen uh, slowly, 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 then boom, it'll be done. Because uh, yeah. the capabilities of an artificial intelligence will increase, um, if not exponentially, then logarithmically, if I'm using the right word. So it'll shock and appall us and it'll happen and then it will have happened and we wouldn't have realized it until it's way too late and he lays out his reasoning for that uh including a really nice little um story to demonstrate his thinking on that and uh i highly recommend reading if you've got like a lot of time on your hands because it's a nice long article I'll have to Instapaper it and see what
2: the, uh, you know, gives
0: you an estimate of how long it's going to take to read. I wonder what it's going to say for this one. It's going to say probably a good hour. Uh, And there's a part two. um, So part one sort of lays out his his foundational thinking on the topic, and part two is a little more nitty-gritty detail. And uh, taken together, it's a tour de force of the threat of artificial intelligence. So highly recommended reading uh so uh you read that greg and let me know if you still feel that you would like to welcome your robotic overlords 28 minutes it says i can spare 20 okay yeah you're a tough guy um okay (laughs) so anyway that's that's just a complete tangent he's right yeah
2: i saw a press release from intel that them and their friends at micron have come out with some new storage technology and i I think it's Aaron who replaced that link with one from Ars Technica, which I was telling Tim before the show started. I was looking on Ars Technica, this is yesterday, hoping that they had written something up because I really like the way they write. Much better than an Intel press release or PR thing or whatever that thing was. Oh, yeah. So there is a link in the affordable. show notes <laughs> to an Ars <laughs> Technica article about what this thing is. But I think the most exciting thing about it for me... Sorry, I've got dog footsteps in the background. I think the most exciting thing about the CrossPoint is just the... It really fits into, I think, what Apple... If Apple came up with some kind of new memory technology, I, I feel like this would be it, because it's much smaller. You can be much denser. If you mm-hmm. look at... D, I mean, DRAM is already pretty good. It's like, what, one transistor, I think, for DRAM? You need a transistor and a capacitor for DRAM. But, of course, the problem with DRAM is you need to refresh it, whatever, some crazy number of times per second, to keep that bit alive. And so that's why when you shut off the power, it goes away. And then you have something like SRAM, which is six or seven transistors, which is just crazy, because that's just a lot of space that you're going to need to make that thing. But then it doesn't need to be refreshed, and it's not as dense. And so this thing that they've come up with, Crosspoint, is sort of magical in the sense that it's zero transistors. It's just this thing where you apply voltage to read, and then you apply a different voltage to write, and then that's Mm -hmm. it. So it's just a voltage difference. I don't know what voltage it is, but I imagine it's very small, because that's the way... The market is moving, and so it's sort of zero transistors, which is a whole other, I was going to say order of magnitude difference, but I guess going from zero to one is not an order of magnitude, it's something even mm-hmm. better. So mm-hmm. uh, it's still, I don't think it's a shipping product, it's probably a long way away, they say it's going to be very expensive, but it's nice to see that as, um, I guess as Moore's law slows down for CPU technology, and then, but we're still getting pretty good uh, even if Intel might be slowing down, the whole ARM thing and Apple coming out with their processors is still seems to be going at a pretty good pace. And mm-hmm. now to see storage technology, so we'll get much denser storage, smaller space, and also less power. So I think it's totally uh, uh, something that Apple will be excited about.
0: The way I like to think about it is like the difference between you know traditional hard drives and 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 RAM, right? You know RAM is super fast, right? But hard drives are super slow by several orders of magnitude slower. Um, and then we got SSDs, which dramatically improved the speed of the hard drive part of the equation inside of a computer, right? Um, so SSDs and flash memory that we have in iPhones, for example. Now, <clears throat> the thing that we get here with the Crosspoint technology is, is kind of merging the best of both worlds in terms of volatile RAM and storage. So if we pack them together, give it the, the, the giant capacity of storage, but the speed of RAM. And the, the article here, uh, Greg, actually says that it's, it's meant to be cost-competitive with both NAND and DRAM, hmm. such as that is. Although it, it doesn't appear to be at this moment, but it's designed for that. So maybe when manufactured in quantity, perhaps. But um, the whole point of this technology is to kind of bring RAM speeds to mass storage. Um, and their first, the, I think this article says somewhere that their first size, like at the minimum size that they're making it is 128 gigabytes. Yeah. Ooh. they, they've made individual dies that can store 128, oh, sorry, gigabits, not a gigabyte, um, which is very dense compared to state-of-the-art commercial DDR RAM 4, which is at eight gigabytes per die. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, Anyway, it's up to 1,000 times faster and has up to 1,000 times greater endurance than commercial NAND chips. NAND chips are the ones that are used in SSDs, if I'm thinking correctly here.
2: That's right. Yeah. Flash
0: memory. Flash memory. Um, So 1,000 times faster and 1,000 times greater endurance. Three orders of magnitude, friends. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, This is game-changing. In a way, even greater than uh, SSDs arriving on the scene, I think. So uh, this is something that we can really look forward to as a way to just dramatically improve uh, both the amount of storage and uh, the speed of storage um, of, of computing devices. Whew. Can't wait, baby. This is it. <laughs> think about it. This is like It's like RAM, okay? Yeah, I don't think you get this. <laughs> no, I, I do get, <laughs> like, why I get you it. you always play, reminds me
2: of that <laughs> when people always go back to the old von Neumann architecture where it's like we have a processor and then we have external storage and then we have memory because it was back in the day which is i guess currently even today where
0: it's exactly the same having a large
2: amount of external storage was necessary because you there was no way you could have sort of memory to on the same order of magnitude as how much storage you have yes and it was volatile there's always been talk about someday how about we just have one bucket of memory why can't i have like a one terabyte cross point storage on my computer and that's RAM there's no difference between RAM and storage basically, right? Exactly. We're reach that. It, so this is maybe the yeah. maybe this is the first step to, to reaching that and then we can totally re architect all of our all that's of our That's exactly right.
0: It it changes mm. the architecture of computers altogether. This is a big effing deal. So mm-hmm. keep an eye on it. Bigger than the Apple car. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> smaller than the Apple car. Way smaller <laughs> Way smaller, but this is fantastic news. And what what we've been hoping for it for some time now. This has been a uh, a thing that we've uh, like a lot of people have been working on. You know, like we've got Rambus. This this article mentions mm-hmm. them. Rambus, which is uh, something that's been kind of in the background stewing. Uh, M RAM, magneto resistive RAM, ReRAM, resistive RAM, PCM, phase change memory. All this stuff hasn't has not come to fruition. Um, but people have been working on this problem for a long time. So if this one works. Stand back man It's going to be awesome ooh, ooh, So sweet. go to the link And read it And actually watch The YouTube video Save it to Magpie And um, and then watch it later And then you can <laughs> Nice uh, plug Thanks <laughs> I tell you man I use it every day yeah. So uh, Good story Good article Follow it Alright
1: so uh, Before we turn into The accidental podcast With our car talk And yeah. uh, <laughs> other things um, Anything else We want to jump into Before we Do pics we
0: should yeah. do picks. I'm dying over here, man. Right. Before, <laughs> before we do picks, uh, yeah, you're dying to feed up there. And, and the fact that I may uh, not be online for very much longer.
1: 360iDev is the longest-running and largest indie iOS conference in the United States, possibly the world. Bringing nearly 400 developers and designers from around the world to Denver, Colorado every year, it's a great time to up your dev game, meet new people, reconnect with friends, and generally spend four days in, with the best in the iOS community. You can save 15% if you use the discount code COCO Community when you register. All right, so let's go around in this table and see if anybody has any picks this week. And Aaron, do you have a pick?
0: I do. So, uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've had some furor and foment about uh, the loading of, of crap on web pages and how much room it takes, and all the JavaScript that gets loaded in with uh, various uh, high traffic news sites in particular. Uh, You might recall an article by John Gruber pointing out um, some Mm -hmm. uh, large assets that get downloaded alongside a page from iMore, uh, one of our popular Mac and iOS blogs that are out there. Mm -hmm. And so you get a a 500-word article, and it comes in with a a 12-megabyte set of JavaScript and images and stuff like that, Um, (laughs) including ads and uh, trackers, things like that. Um, There's this Mm -hmm. plugin called Ghostery that I've discovered this week. And Mm -hmm. uh, what it does is it's like a toolbar that sits in Safari's... uh, It's a tool that sits in Safari's toolbar, which scans every page that you load and lists all the trackers, the advertising sites, and um, beacons and social widgets and things like that. All the third-party crap that's loaded alongside the web page that you're loading up and looking at. Um, And so you can sort of systematically go through it and for every item, for example, like if you go to like theverge.com and you see like DoubleClick click and Google Analytics and all that stuff, all those mm-hmm. services are kind of pulling information about you. Um, and if you'd prefer yeah. that not happen, a plugin like Ghostery is a way to sort of circumvent those by, you know, turning that crap off. So yeah. there's little uh, UIs or they look like UI switches, but uh, switches that you can throw and then reload the page and you know the the 11 to 12 megabyte uh, web page that loaded up is now you know uh you know 20 kilobytes it's it snaps up like crazy it's awesome just awesome so um Ghostery is a free plugin um the company that makes it offers a number of services like commercial services but the ghostry plugin for your browser is free uh so you go to ghostory.com and uh follow the links to yeah. find it it's a little buried but it is there um sort of in the top yeah. section of the website
1: i've been using ghostry for about six months now and i love it I, I, I run a couple i think we talked about this before and you were surprised to find that i run all these extra things on my computers to keep an eye on who's keeping an eye on me but yeah i mean uh we have a couple of uh applications that run through once a week and scan through all our cookies and see who's keeping track of us and clear them out. And that's kind of a pain because you have to shut your browser down. But is kind of a live thing. As soon as you open a web page, a little purple... list shows up in the in the uh, le- lower right hand corner and shows you so when you go to imore or com or any of these places where they have a lot of third party ads you can see what kind of what's well, google double click or f- what, how how is it that facebook knows what kind of things you're looking at i mean you don't spend a lot of time on facebook Aaron but if you go to amazon for something and you're looking up a you know a, a water softener for your house or something like that and you go back to facebook 10 minutes later and they'll have ads for water softeners on the side of the facebook yeah. Exactly, page. Right, and that's kind of sort of how this stuff happens is, is that it's, it's bad enough we have enough people watching us as it is. But And to your point, I hadn't really thought about the, the performance benefit, but, yeah, I mean, you can go through and, you know, I, I use Google Analytics for business. I use Facebook, some stuff, Facebook stuff for business. I use some Twitter stuff for business. These are companies I kind of trust, so I, I leave those things on, but the ones that I don't know who they are or where they're coming from, I just basically block them all if I can. And, and you can see when they load up, uh, you go to like some of these magazine sites and you 'll see like you know twenty or thirty on the list of things that are showing up that you 're not thinking you 're looking at right so uh, it's pretty good. Uh, there, there is one sort of downside of this. I recently installed it on my wife's computer, and she went on to uh, uh, indigo. dot com, which is like a Barnes and Noble here in Canada. And she was looking for something, and when her, the search results came up, and there was no books on the page, and it, yet she came over to my computer and I ran the same query, and it turned out that Ghostry was blocking something that the website needed to display the content on the page for her. But so that's just one downside of, of using it, you know, blindly. But I like the fact that, that I'm now more aware of what's going on when I'm going to a web browser and looking around for things because, you know, with the way Google works these days, you can end up anywhere and not realize it, right? So it's a great tool. I, I love it. It's uh, I wish we thought about it a long time ago. No kidding. All right, so Greg, do you have a
2: pick? I do have a pick. I changed it up last minute here, but I'm it's a link to the Apple open source page where large parts of the operating system and other things that Apple releases like Xcode, iOS, OS10 are open source and they have this page that isn't always very up to date. For example, the latest code they have for ios is still back at ios 7.1 but the os 10 is pretty up to date they're up to 10.10.1 so only a few small point releases behind anyway i'd seen a tweet from someone who i can't remember now but they said something like hey check out the source code for the objective c runtime which is open source there's a lot of cool swift stuff in there which i never thought about Mm -hmm. that makes sense so it's not the source code to swift which we still have to wait a few months for but the source code to the objective c runtime So I'm just opening it up here. And there's two files in particular that if you're especially nerdy, you can check out, which is the source for objc-runtime-new. And there's a header file, and there's a .mm file, which is a C++ file. And Mm -hmm. so if you're just super nerdy about this stuff, lots of stuff to look at. You can see what the structure of a Swift object is versus an Objective-C object, and just a lot of other stuff about method dispatch and, you know... opsy message send and uh, th- things like that. Anyway, if you're nerdy about kind of low-level runtime stuff, then definitely check it out. And if you run a diff between this version and say something a few versions back before we had Swift, say from last year, I guess it'd be from 10.9, then you can see um, the changes that have been made and sort of how Swift has kind of crept into the runtime. So
1: that's my pick. Yeah, so for the layman people out there, can you explain what we're looking at in terms of runtime or what it, what is this
2: the so one thing sure, that yes. caught my eye was I think it was object copying. So for example, if you have a Objective C object and you need to make a copy of it, then mm-hmm. the if you look at the source code for the runtime it just does like an alloc and it says, All right, here you go. But for Swift it's like, Oh, there's all these extra flags and there's now an is Swift flag on every object, which is, you know, false for Objective C stuff and true mm-hmm. for Swift stuff. And so the Objective-C runtime has been around our world for a very long time because it handles things like message dispatch, and it's sort of the base class. It's not quite the source code for NSObject, but you can think of it as like what is an Objective-C object at its core, and there's a struct in here somewhere that represents it. Um, So anyway, it's just of interest to me because of how Swift interoperates with Objective-C. And it's like how how many how much how many changes did they have to make to the runtime to get it to play nicely with Swift? And so <laughs> that's really the the part of it that's interesting to me.
3: righty. so Jaime, do you have a pick? I do, and I want to say it was somebody else's pick um, before, but it's come up for me again. It's ASCIIWWDC.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an NSHipster project, so it's started by uh, Matt Triple T Thompson of AF Networking fame. Right. And it's a nice little site where you can go in and search and see all of the different sessions that occurred at WWC, including ones going, let's see how far back to 2010. And it's really nice because they have all the sessions laid out in a nice directory format. So, for example, I might want to say, oh, what exactly was talked about for Apple Pay within the most recent WWDC? You can say, okay, well, there it is in System Frameworks 702, Apple Pay within Apps. There's also search capability, and it's really nice because you might say, oh, you know, the Apple Design Awards are really long. They're like two hours long, I think. Um, And I was really interested to see what app was it that they had where they had the, you know, the blind people working on the app, and how did they deal with accessibility. Oh, okay, well, rather than scrubbing through the entire video, you can very quickly go and find, because they have the transcript version of that. Oh, okay, cool. So you can search for what you want. I could have did sworn we talked about time it codes point. as well. I may, or am I not it it correctly? It does not have time codes, which okay. is um, unfortunate. It would be nice if it did, but it, at the very least, you don't have to wonder. Oh my gosh, which of these push notification possible topics is where I first heard about you know the payload being extended to four kilobytes? Yeah. for example.
2: Now, here's a question. Do you go through and just read these instead of watching the videos? Or do you use the site <laughs> in order to see what part of the video to watch? Like, do you do you watch the video? Or is this a near replacement for the videos?
3: Mm, it's it's more of like a first triaging, unless I'm looking for very specific information that I can just read a particular fact, mm-hmm. like the fact that, you know, payloads for push notifications are moving to four kilobytes. Um because a lot of these videos have contextual graphics or animations or something to help explain what they're talking about. So I don't think it's a pure replacement for the video. It's almost cool. like a, a nice little index, a searchable index, if you may. Mm-hmm. Which, it, you know, in the future it'd be nice if it had time codes and even better, time codes that you could just tap on like you can for YouTube videos and say, take me directly to where they said this.
2: For some reason, I thought they had that. Like, every five minutes, they would stick, you know, five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen, or something like that. But maybe I'm thinking of another site. Yeah, it could be another site, because I'm not seeing
3: them. I'm looking there. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything. Okay. It's still pretty nice, especially if you're, like me, you're recapping and trying to figure out, you know, what was it that I missed? What do I still need to refresh myself on? Getting ready for iOS 9 coming up in the fall. Sure. Sure
0: great thing is that these things are cool. searchable, by, searchable by Google, right? So I come across them sometimes when I'm Googling for issues that I'm having in my own work. Mm-hmm. Oh, I never cool.
2: thought about that. I don't think I've ever had that come up. So you search for push notification and an ASCII WWDC session comes up as the sure. result? Yep. Oh, for wow. example. Okay. Yeah.
1: So I have a pick, actually, that I, I put it on the show notes... Um, Many episodes ago, and I guess something came up, and we talked about something different instead. Uh, and the, my real pick is is a, a product called Telekinesis, which was announced in beta uh, a few months ago, and that's kind of when I when I uh, marked it up here. But the pick I was going to talk about was is called Paint Code, and you may have heard of Paint Code before. But what Paint Code does is if you want to do um, some animations, or you want to do some vector drawing or graphics. Uh, you want to make some UI enhancements on your in, your in your app. You can use the paint code paint code tools to draw in either object uh, shapes or in Bezier paths, and you know have colors and create themes for your app uh, theme kits that they call them. Um, and using paint code, you can draw these things on the app like you, like you would in Photoshop or Illustrator. And it generates code for you in uh, either Swift or Objective-C, depending on what you're working on. And then you can take that code and put it right into your app. So if you want to draw a custom button or something like that or uh, you know, maybe a chat bubble or you're building a, a text view or something like that, it's kind of cool. Um, so it's, it's a really cool way of, of generating you know, look and feel for your app. But the cool thing about Telekinesis is this uh, new plugin that they just come out with, and it's just been released in beta, I think, last month. Um, and I was prompted again by an email from them because uh, I'd, I'd signed up for the beta program, but I had forgot to to download it. But what Telekinesis does is it, it ties Paint Code and Xcode and your your device together, so that you can go into you open up a project and you you import in the, the Paint Code code and then um, you basically use your device to preview what you're seeing on the screen so you run your app uh through with this with with uh paint code plugged in and then with telekinesis you can actually make changes to the to the handles like you can grab a graphic like a star or something like that and grab a handle on on a on a bezier point and add more points to the star or change the color of the star and it literally li- updates live on your device while you're doing it so you can actually play with the UI and preview it on your device or in the simulator as well. Um, and it does it seamlessly over the network. So it's a kind of cool thing. So it's it's kind of you're able to go in and monkey around with the design and see the update live on the device without having to go through and recompile continually as you as you develop, right? So and it's cool. I think there's a couple of tutorials on I think Ray and Vicky did a tutorial on RayWonderLuck.com um, for using paint code, I think uh, a while back they were one of our sponsors at RWDevCon and um, but the telekinesis is my pick for the week, and that's a really kind of cool uh, thing. I don't know if you guys ever, have you seen it or heard of it, of this stuff before. I had. Yeah. I have Paint Code. Never used.
3: Never used it, but I've heard good things about it.
1: Yeah, it's kind of neat. I mean, you know, I, I'm obviously I work in Illustrator and Photoshop all the time. So for me, it's it's kind of a I really didn't think about it seriously, but yeah, now that I've worked with it for a, on a few projects, it's kind of cool to sort of go in there. And then telekinesis, I just downloaded that today, and uh, with the new it's with the new beta Paint Code 2.4 uh, includes the the plug the the connection for telekinesis. And you basically so you go into Paint Code, you run your app on your on your device, go into Paint Code, and you can see your device there, and you select it as the target, and then as you make your changes to your your graphics and your colors and what have you, you get live updates on the on the screen. It's kind of cool stuff. So if you do look at animation or something, you can play with the animation while you're while you're inside Paint Code. Awesome. Neat, neat stuff. So yeah, I guess that's it for the week, and we'll say goodbye until next time. And so Aaron, Aaron if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look?
0: Go to Twitter at Aaron or check out my product Magpie at MagpieVideo.com.
1: All right, and uh, Greg, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they go? They should also look on Twitter. I'm at Greg Heo. And Jaime, where can people find you? Twitter as at DevTheHair. Okay, and you're still looking for people for offer-up?
3: Absolutely. Just about every <laughs> kind of engineer you, you could possibly think of that does software. We're looking for them. Yeah.
1: Okay, I put a link up on the show notes from last week's show, and I'll, I'll repeat that link for offer. And once again, my name is Tim Hitcher. I'm in Toronto, Ontario. I'm T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and I am also found on my website at it-guy.com. So I guess that's it for the week, and we'll say goodbye.
0: Bye. 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 Bye.
1: Bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can provide as little as a dollar a month. Any amount helps. However, you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go Melt. Um. <laughs> okay, hi, May. Stay dry, okay? Um.
3: Thank you. I'm, I'm so worried about you, buddy.
0: Greg, <laughs> nice to hear your voice. Take care.
2: I'll Tim. Just slide into the Love CD. you, man. See you again, Aaron.
0: Okay, take care, guys.
2: See you, man. When are you we're in, we're in, we're back to civilization, Aaron? Saturday. Ah, alright. Got, right. <laughs> got quite a few days to stick out then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye, guys. All right. This See is you.
1: fun. Remember, this is fun. You know what, I didn't I didn't put uh I didn't put something on the on the uh notes and that was an exchange I had on Twitter with one of our f- listeners about
0: his experience with Apple Music. I love our listeners. They're so yeah. good looking and uh, tasteful. Peter They're a smart bunch. They really right. are. What did they say?
3: <laughs> yes, yes, in fact it's ninety one degrees ah, right
0: now. What's that in Celsius? Cause I like to think I'm I'm hotter where I am right now. Cause it's thirty-three uh, right here. Yeah? What's thir- Siri? Siri, hey. Don't you have a calculator on here? I don't know. Really, I wouldn't calculate start? it. Um, yeah, too bad I'll I'm running. Ask,
2: Thirty-two. Thirty-two point seven. Thirty-two point seven. Slightly hotter here. Yeah, I might be just the. The calculator 20s. on the Mac does metric conversions. Yeah. Okay.
0: Suffice to say, Jaime like is. Like it's, it's, it's about the same in there. Uh, it's it's bloody hot. It's oh my god hot. And you know what? No. I don't have air conditioning. That's how hot it is.
1: But don't aren't you near a lake? Yeah, and it's. Wait, wait, wait. Hey, back okay, up, back sorry, up, back sorry. up. Back. You're at a cottage, and you don't have air conditioning. Right. What is wrong with that? I sentence? Don't know. It's deeply broken, and I'm... You're not supposed to have... You're supposed to be roasting marshmallows... No, it's too and, hot for fire. Know, fish, fishing off the deck. So, sorry, are you on waterfront? Or yeah, not yeah. Waterfront? There's, there's,
0: a uh, Halliburton Lake is, is right there. I'm looking at it. Go soak your head in it. Yeah, I've done that. But uh, then I, I, I kind of have had moments here this week where I wanted to die. I just wanted to die. Just jump in the water. Yeah, I, I did that, and then I got out, and I dried off, and I was like, uh, back to wanting to die. Please kill me. <laughs> <I'd die> now. <sighs> Too hot. Oh, you've been line. softened by city life, Tim. That's the problem. You have softened by Whit- Whitby, of all evolved. Oh purposes. yeah, the often, uh, it's the ultimate softener. Mm-hmm. Show title. Um, sorry, Jaime. It's uh, it's warm there, but not wet. That's that's good. Keep it up. Um.
1: Okay. <laughs> Are you still with us, Jaime? I am. All right. <laughs> it's being awfully quiet there in the corner.
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's awfully hot here in Seattle. Like ninety, <laughs> <coughs> folks may not get it. I don't I don't know what the humidity level okay, is. Okay, you it's tell me. Oh, yeah, really. Do you have yeah, air conditioning? Yeah, so we, we have like no, nobody does in Seattle because oh. um, global warming notwithstanding, most houses were not built with uh, air conditioning in mind because you, d- you really don't need it until wow, the past really? couple summers that have been like you know, houses usually don't even have fans installed. Like you just what? Get like a... S- Ceiling fan installed if you're really looking to have something comfortable or you get a you know standing fan that you put up in the room just get it out of the closet or get it out of the garage or basement or something during the summer
0: oh my goodness
3: so if you're if it's 98 there you said no it's it 90 98? but it it feels like it could be well over 100 for sure with the humidity factor
1: yeah, yeah the humidity is a pain we get that here in, in Toronto as well so that's I just
0: pasted in a link uh, about the Cocoa rewrite of the Finder, which happened in Snow Leopard, <laughs> ten point six. Ooh. Uh, so it's wow. been around and for ages. It's more recent to me, but yeah. all right. Hey, you know the years fly by. <laughs> they sure do. So there you go. And uh, the iTunes rewrite, I'm sure, is coming. Any release now? Any release? Oh, uh oh.
2: Perfect timing. I was just about to say I love Free I use it all the time. I'd never heard of it, so I was hoping to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs>